welcome Hoosier fans to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call as yesterday your Indiana Hoosiers defeated the Iowa Hawkeyes 67 to 65 overcoming big deficits in both halves yet again the Hoosiers fall down early to Iowa they came back in the first half let it halftime then fell back again at the beginning of the second half but came back to earn a huge win. The win vaults Indiana to 10-8 and eight overall, 5-6 and six in the conference, secures a season sweep of the Iowa Hawkeyes, and it came at a, a just a huge time for Indiana after dropping a couple in a row, needing a win to get back on the right track. The Hoosiers got it, and we're going to break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. I'm your host, Jared Morris, and I'm here with a couple of fresh voices for you today. Ryan, Andy, and Coach all had Super Bowl Sunday commitments yesterday, uh, so we decided to give our most active and astute community members a chance to join the postgame show. And even though we're here on a Monday night doing a belated version of the postgame show because we had some scheduling issues at the last minute yesterday, uh, they are going to be here with us, and so you will get to meet them shortly but first, let's start this show the way that we start every show, and that is with our banner moment. And you know where I'm going with the banner moment. With 27 seconds left in this game, Indiana led by three. And then, of course, Jordan Bohannon did what Jordan Bohannon does at Assembly Hall. He drained a big three. That tied it at 65. And every single Indiana fan was feeling the dread of another overtime after what happened against Wisconsin and against Illinois and against Florida State, all potential signature wins that evaded the Hoosiers in OT. But this time, it was different in many ways. First, Indiana didn't call timeout. Archie had you know a couple timeouts in his pocket, but he let his players play, right? They went down, ran a play, didn't call a timeout. Second, on that play, they didn't do what everyone on earth thought they would do, which is force-feed it into Trace Jackson Davis. Instead, Archie put the ball in the hands of the guy with the best combination of experience, playmaking, and shot-making on the roster, Armand Franklin. This, despite Armand having being in the midst of one of the worst shooting games of his career while working through a sore ankle. He was a wretched one for nine at that point, and the one that he made was a layup. And the third way this was different was that Armand made the play. And so many losses this season, we've been begging someone, anyone in the backcourt to make a play. And occasionally they have, like Rob shot against Penn State. But more often than not, Indiana's guards have come up small in the game's biggest moments. But not yesterday. Armand was calm, cool, and collected and got the exact shot he wanted. A mid-range jumper near the elbow that is right in his wheelhouse. And he drained it, punctuating it with an emphatic point to his mama in the stands, no doubt cheering her latest funky hat off uh, there in the stands watching Armand. And, you know, Armand right now is in kind of the awkward transition phase that so many sophomores go through. He's well past his freshman jitters, and he's now become a reliable producer who was showing real signs of being a go-to guy. But he's still relatively inefficient. He still turns it over too much, and his shot comes and goes. But, man, does he compete. He competes hard. And even though he wasn't having a good shooting game, he was playing well overall with six rebounds, five assists, and some terrific second-half defense on Joe Wieskamp, who once again scored a ton of points early, but was then held in check thereafter. In other words, Armand earned the right to take that shot, and he earned the right to make it. And as it so often does, this game rewarded him. It was a big-time shot by a big-time player who keeps showing us that he has what it takes to be a building block of the next great IU basketball team. He'll need to get better. And he'll need help, but Armand put an important skin on the wall yesterday. He did what closers do. 
All right, our banner moment tonight, as always, brought to you by our friends at Home Field Apparel, now in their fourth season of sponsoring the Assembly Call. And, you know, with winter here and the really frigid temps about to come, especially down here in Dallas, hoodie weather is officially arrived, and so you need to make your way over to their website, homefieldapparel.com. They have something unique for everyone, especially IU fans, and all of their apparel is printed on the softest, warmest, most comfortable, and most washable materials that you will find anywhere if you want my suggestions, of course, the bison hoodie. I also really like the the ones that they have printed on the oatmeal design. I've got an assembly call one. I got my brother a script Indiana one. And then I wear the crew neck. Oh my God, it is so comfortable. I wear it to bed. I wear it during the day. Like it's just, I think it's the most comfortable piece of clothing I own. I have the Indiana shoes logo. They have several others. And remember, it's not just IU gear. Homefield has apparel for more than 90 different colleges and universities with new ones being added all the time. And their designs are so unique, interesting, and vintage that you may end up like Coach. And that's buying shirts and hoodies for schools you've barely heard of just because you like the designs. And you can always save on your home field order by using the promo code ASSEMBLY20 at checkout. It will give you 20% off your entire order throughout the year. So go to homefieldapparel.com, load up your shopping cart, and enter ASSEMBLY20 to get 20% off. That's homefieldapparel.com. All right, well, it is time now to move the ball, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team. And we will start with Coach's Corner, but it's not with Coach Tonsoni today. It is with Coach Marlowe. Jeff Marlowe, he's coached high school basketball in Indiana for 25 years, girls basketball, 17 years as a girls varsity coach. He's won two sectionals at Rensselaer Central in his 13 years coaching there. He's also the creator of the Hoosier Hysteria History Podcast. And he's now started writing our scouting reports before the games inside of the community. Pretty much pegged this one with his, uh, with his scouting report this time. So, Coach, bring you on. Get your opening thoughts on Indiana's big win over Iowa. Thanks for having me, Jared. I'm really happy to be here and, and kind of piggyback off of yours. My opening thought was, as I watched that game, is this going to be another we can't finish? You know, And I hate to say must win, but it really felt like a must win after losing three in a row at home or at least three big 10 games at home. We're on, we're on the ropes. I mean, you know, you got to bounce back at some point and, and who is going to step up. And, and, and cause nobody had, we had not finished at Florida state. We hadn't finished against Wisconsin. We hadn't finished against Illinois. So who could do it? And then we fall behind two different times, battle back, get the lead. And then that Bohannon kid just killing me as a coach. I'm like, how do we not pick him up better? But I thought the big thing there was we kept battling back and then somebody, Armand, made a play. And to me, it was important for two reasons. One, we found out we could win a tight game. And from a coaching perspective, psychology is one of the biggest things. You, until kids get there and learn that they can get over that hump, sometimes you never, you know, you just never get there. And so it's finally, Armand made a play. And, and that also shows, like you were mentioning to me, they know who their go-to guy is now. Whether he's going to take the shot or create for somebody else, they know they can put the ball in his hands, and then he can create something here for himself or somebody else, and we're going to have a pretty good outcome. So to me, the opening, my opening thought was all about that kind of last four or five minutes of how we finished out the game for once. Absolutely. All right, and next up, we go – and, I don't, you know, Kathy, I don't know what we're going to call this segment. We could call it Kathy's Corner – the Amos assault, Kath's wrath. Like I'm really, I guess it's not going to be wrath since we won, but I'm excited here to bring in Kathy who played hoops in high school. She's coached her son teams 
And she is the president of the Juwan Morgan fan club. And if you try and claim that, she will fight you for it. Kathy, what are your, what are your opening thoughts on IU's <laughs> victory over Iowa? Uh, thanks, Jared. Um, boy, you make me sound like aggressive here. So I'm <laughs> trying to keep it nice and calm. Um, boy, yeah, I think the you two both hit hit it right on the head. And I, I'm going to go with something I think our football team has been doing. They pick one word, right? My one word that I came away from with this as game was trust. I felt that Coach Archie Miller showed some trust in a lot of different ways. My first way is he so showed some trust with race, right? He put race on Garza and race lived up to that, right? And I'm sure we'll get a, maybe a little bit into race's play today, but he was fantastic on Garza, just amazing. Then when our, our, our starting guards weren't great, they weren't great out of the shoot, he had the trust to put the freshman in, right? So some of our first subs, and I think both the first and the second, second half, we're freshmen coming in for our starters. So he had that trust to put them in in the beginning. And then when they messed up a few times, he had the trust to leave them in that they would play through it. And then, then finally, at the end of the game, he went back to the folks that were struggling, right? Rob was struggling, but he put him in because he trusted Rob to play defense. And, and he did. He came through for us. And he had, he had a bonus three-point, which uh, wouldn't have won that game without him. It was a huge it, right? shot, yeah. It was enormous. So trust. And last but not least, he trusted Armand that was not having a great shooting night. He trusted him to draw up that play. He specifically said, I drew this play up for Armand, Armand and he trusted him to put them in. So for me, the, when I look back and I reflect on it, the whole thing came down to, to coach trusting his players and letting them play through things that maybe, you know, even just last week or two weeks ago, maybe he wouldn't have done it. So, so to me, that, that was my, my theme that I went with for the game. I love that, Kathy. No, it's a great point. And I I love how we're now like pulling things in from the football program as we, as we talk about the basketball program. My how things have changed, but the football program has definitely earned that. Um, let I want to I want to key off something that you talked about there. We got to talk about Race Thompson. Um, because obviously, you know, Armand Franklin made the biggest shot of the game. You know, Rob Finnessy's was right behind that. I mean, we were down three when Rob hit that shot, and that was his only make of the game. You know, so for as bad as our guard shot. They stepped up and hit, you know, those two huge shots when they absolutely had to, a complete reverse of what we've seen in other games. But Race Thompson was the guy who was there all game long, battling Luca Garza, you know, making hustle plays, getting buckets, getting rebounds. You know, he finished this was one of those games where, you know, sometimes the stats don't do a great job of, of showing Race's contributions. In this game, he finished with 15 points. Uh, he had six rebounds, four block shots, a steal. He was the only starter who finished positive in plus minus. He was plus five. It's a flawed stat in a single game, but sometimes it does match what the eye test tells you. And in this game, it really did. And coach, you know, what What I think really stood out to, to everybody was the way that he just competed on defense. You know, Luca Garza is going to get his points. He's a phenomenally talented player. He's got the size advantage, you know, both height and, you know, just girth over race. But, you know, they they... They highlighted, you know, a couple times the defense was that race was playing, and I'm not sure that I've ever seen a guy play post defense as active and just trying to beat Garza to the spot. And you know, as soon as Garza would move, sprinting back behind him to beat him there, and just trying to prevent the pass from even getting in. Because look, if Garza gets it on the block and he can just turn over his shoulder, he's going to score. There's only so much that you can do. But race made it so hard on him. And just on both ends, because offensively, you know, some of the – he kind of showed a nice range of offense too. 
you know, and, and maybe this is something we can talk about later, you know, but I found myself kind of thinking about several times as I'm watching the game. I'm like, man, are we sure he's not our best player? <laughs> because just he does so many things, like in terms of on defense, on offense, and just how reliable he is. So, you know, this was, I think, one of the best games that he's played. Um, and, he, you know, just his defense on Garza and how hard he worked to get in position. Uh, it was fun to watch, and Indiana would not have won this game without it. No, I, I totally agree. And I think the one thing race does better than anybody else we have on defense post-wise is they continue to move their feet. If you watched him play in the post, he starts out fronting and then Garza would make a move, a drop step, or he would try to disengage enough to get some space and reestablish. And then he, uh, our other players tend to get caught behind that. Whereas race keeps battling to try and get in front. Now he's not perfect. Nobody is, but I thought in the scouting report, the bit, one way you beat Iowa is I put in there in the, in the community that you had to make Garza work at both ends. And as you mentioned, race did that on the offensive end, but I also think he made Garza work even harder on the offensive end than I even thought you had. He could because he made Garza work so hard in the post. I was, I'll give them credit. They are very patient at feeding the ball into the post. They're going to give Garza every opportunity to get that post up spot. And sometimes I kind of milk the clock down to well under 10 seconds left in the shot clock and that came you know kind of went to our advantage but i i get i think it's more about races footwork or excuse me as feet as footwork in the post more than anything and then just like we talked about in the community today for 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 our listeners he's probably the glue guy if he's not the most in, invaluable player the most valuable player he's our glue guy he kind of holds everything together because he can do so many things as you mentioned in the stat line he scored he defended he passed he blocked shots he had a great game yesterday, and if it wasn't his best game, it was darn close to it in his career. Glue guy, that's a great way to describe him. Every single glue guy list that comes out from the national writers needs to include race because he is absolutely that. And I'll tell you the other thing you know, that jumps out, five for seven from the free throw line, which I know that's not great, but it's 71%. And what was the first thing that we saw on social media after the Illinois game, right? Race Thompson was out shooting free throws. I think Lander was out there with him too. You know, and this, I really... You know, as I'm watching this game, especially the way that it ended, it just it felt like a game where Indiana was rewarded for doing the right things. You know, like Armand, he played so hard, finally makes a shot. You know, Race Thompson is out after the game shooting free throws, has his best game, and actually, you know, improves his free throw percentage in this game. You know, and it was nice because, you know, look, we've been frustrated with this Indiana team, you know, and they've had some games where they haven't played very well, but they're playing hard. They're clearly practicing hard. They're doing the right things, and it was nice to see those guys be rewarded for it, you know, because it's been so draining watching some of these losses and because you know that it just kills them. And it was nice to see them be on the, on the right side of that. And, and gosh, I mean, you know, Armand and race were right there at the top of the list of guys who just, they just played so hard on both ends. And that is so much fun to watch as a fan. Um, Kathy, anything else from race that stood out to you? Yeah. You know, so it, I think um, it, Hopefully I'm not going to steal any of your meaningful moments, but I, I wrote down 17.02 into the game or so three minutes into the game um, race really battled down, down low for one of his three offensive rebounds and put it back for a, a, a bucket. And I wrote down, is this going to set the tone for the game? And I felt for at least for race in particular, it really did. And I think from the opening tip until the final buzzer, he was the one player in particular that played like there was it was all 115%, right? There was no pulling back for him. And I remember at one point he 
just battled all through. And I looked at some of the stats and I said, how in the heck does he, did he end up with only six rebounds? Because it felt like way more than six rebounds to me. So I think that says a lot about what, not just um, the stat line tells you about a player, but what you can see with the eye test, right? Like to me, the hustle that race showed um, all the time doesn't always equate into stats on that line, which, you know, we've talked about and you've talked about on this show too. So to me, um, maybe he wasn't the leading, leading scorer, the leading rebounder or whatever, but for sure, absolutely the glue guy. And with that, in my, my opinion, with that offensive rebound in particular, because he just really battled for it, I think it just set the tone for the rest of the game. Um, and I enjoyed watching that from him. And I think we saw it from start to finish. So yeah, race was, he was on point. Yeah. The other, you know, the other thing that we have to talk about here before we get out of the first segment is the impact of the young guys. And we'll talk about it more in the next segment. But one guy that I want to highlight here to start is Christian Lander, who, you know, was such an enigma for so long and still is an enigma. But, you know, and really, actually, for a long time, he wasn't an enigma. Basically, when Christian Lander would come in, we would get torched on defense and he wasn't really comfortable enough offensively to show you what he could do outside of a flash here and there. But over the last four games, really starting with the first Iowa game, he's been getting more minutes and he's been more productive. This was a game yesterday where he was plus 13. And you know, you think back to all the stretches where Indiana was really playing well, Lander was out there. And you might think, my gosh, what did he have, like 15 points and five assists? No, like statistically, he had three points, he was one of six shooting, and he had two turnovers. You know, it wasn't a great statistical game for him. But I think anybody who watched this game and paid attention to what was going on saw the impact that he has. Number one, he's better defensively, right? And I'm going to talk about in the meaningful moments a huge defensive play that he made. But he's not great yet. You you have to kind of help him out. He's probably below average defensively, but he's not get torched, you know, every time he's out there anymore. He's competing more when guys drive against him. Like he's better on that end. But what you see now, the fact that he's getting more minutes able to get into a rhythm offensively, everything about the offense is more kinetic when Christian Lander is on is on the court. You know, we see often from, from Rob and Al, you know, those guys can make big shots and they can make big plays. There's also a lot of aimless dribbling from Rob and Al. And there's also struggles to feed the post properly and do some of the things Indiana really needs to do. And with Christian... The ball is always moving. And the part of this, it's not just him. It's, you know, when the other freshmen get in there too. But coach, you know, there's just, there's something about the way that he pushes and puts pressure on the defense. You know, part of that is the fact that they know he's got a quick trigger and he'll shoot anytime. But it's also because he is so quick that he can, you know, come around a screen and he, he can take it if he needs to. But he also sees passing angles that no one else sees. And this is stuff that we, like, we knew that it was there because he's a five-star prospect and we saw it in high school. But we didn't really get to see it in many games outside of a flash here or two, and now you're getting to see it more regularly. And so even when he's not scoring, and even if the assist numbers aren't huge, he had three in the Iowa game, there's an impact he has on the offense where things are just a little more crisp. Now, he still turns it over. He makes some bad bad plays, but he is constant pressure on the defense. That is really, really important. And I think especially against a team like Iowa that doesn't play very good defense, he's going to get in more of a comfort zone and that ability that he has is really going to be accentuated. It's not going to be like that every game. We, you know, playing against Iowa is its own kind of special, special level of comfort in the Big Ten. But you know, I thought we really saw that impact 
Um, and I think that's that's the reason he's getting minutes. And as you look for how can this Indiana team continue to improve, you know, if he can get those minutes up into the twenty, you know, twenty-two minute range, he just puts a different kind of pressure on the defense that opens things up for race, opens things up for trace. Um, and I thought his impact on the game was really, really clear yesterday. Yeah, I totally agree. And I've been on the Lander bandwagon for a while, mainly because I've just been a fan. As a coach, when my teams were struggling, I always always like juggling a lineup. Sometimes I just felt like you needed to change, sometimes for change's sake. But I also felt that if you had somebody that wasn't playing well, it sent a message to them. Hey, I got somebody else I can put in here. And I thought that played out at the end of the game. And, And they may not have hit a ton of shots. But I thought Rob and Al both showed more energy at the end in that last 10 minutes of the game, last eight minutes of the game than they had at any time throughout. So I think, you know, they can, you know, people can deny it. But to me, they were seeing Lander and Leal and Geronimo playing out there and playing well. And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, there's minutes that can be lost here. And and Lander does things on the offensive end. The, the spacing's better. He tends to play more downhill. He, he reads the pick and roll better than the older guys do, I believe. And, and you see him yesterday make a couple pocket passes into the lane to, that I, we really haven't seen from the other guards. Um, yeah, he's making mistakes, but I also believe he's a kid. You got to let him learn through those mistakes. I mean, I know it's not the same, but for us at the high school level, it's kind of like you, know, you bring a freshman up to the varsity and then you never play them well they can't learn if they don't play and I know the argument's been made that there was no pre no non-con season well nobody had a non-conference season really this year then other freshmen are playing sometimes you just got to live with their mistakes now defensively he was bad and, and and he's gotten better the last two or three weeks two to three weeks I think the one thing that's helped Lander the most is he's not thinking shot first right now he's become more of a distributor and he sees, like I said, not only just the pocket passes, but he a couple times yesterday, he got into the lane, the defense collapsed, and he's skipping it out to the backside. Now, most of the time, we didn't hit the three, unfortunately, yesterday, but that's where the offense can excel. And I saw, and, and we talked about this in the community a little bit today. We got to shoot more than the eight we did against uh, Illinois. You know, we need a higher volume. Yes, I know percentage hasn't been great all year, but we got to shoot a higher volume because you got to stress the defense. If you want TJD and Race to have room to work, they've got to at least be a threat to shoot from outside. So I think that's where I saw Lander. And yeah, he, he still has some breakdowns, but the, he, our offense just seems to click better. And then yesterday with all those freshmen that were on the floor, they made that 9-0 run at the end of the half, basically with those, with three freshmen race and TJD on the floor. And, you know, that to me was as much fun as I've seen, you know, that team play offensively in a while. Yeah. Kathy, what did you take from Christian's performance yesterday? Yeah. Um, so I don't, follow recruiting right I once we get them great I'm in let's do this so I didn't really know what to expect from from Lander coming into the season other than I heard obviously right he's a five sorry he's amazing he's going to be great but for me I, I don't set great high expectations for freshmen coming in until I've seen him play and then I saw him playing I, I still wasn't really sold um so I'm, I'm probably a little slower than than coach to to jump on the Lander back bandwagon but I'm telling you, I'm jumping on pretty quick. So um, his defense has definitely gotten better. I mean, of course, we can look back to the Illinois game where he fouled, you know, or missed, let the two threes and then fouled on the three-pointer, you know, towards the end of the game. That was that was pretty rough. I definitely think he is looking more to pass first. 
there are so many times I remember just yelling at the TV earlier this year. It's like, why are you taking that shot? It felt like it was like five minutes into to the shot clock. And I didn't understand like what he was thinking in. And his shot's clearly not there yet. He, you know, one for six from three point this time. But his shot selection is feeling better to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not there to where I think he should start. I don't feel like he's earned that starting spot in my opinion yet. I want to see more of him and I want to see more of it consistently. Um, But I do think that he has earned the right to have more minutes, maybe not starting the game. Although maybe we can talk at some point about, you know, um, coach, you talked about changing your lineup. Like why do we think coach Miller is so resistant to changing the starting lineup for the second half? So our starting lineup, the first half was not good. It did not come out. Well, we got down by 13 at some point in the first half and he puts the new lineup. We go into the half then with a lead. It's great. Let's take this momentum. And instead I felt like we went back to that same lineup that had that really slow start and the same thing happened in the second half. And so why, why are we doing that? That, that is probably one of my biggest gripes with the game yesterday and how it was coached was the lack of changing that starting lineup to come out strong in that second half. Like that first five minutes of the second half, we, we got outplayed um, seven to two, right. In that first um, segment in the second half before the timeout. Um, And that would be a place back to your, your question around Lander. That would be a place to me. I think he should have been inserted there over, over Rob. Um, I also like your, your question, Jared, of po- that you posed. What if we try him and Rob side by side? I guess on paper, they're both point guards, but Lander clearly can, can run the offense more. And Finnessy is obviously better on defense. So what if we try to take their two strengths and combine them and see what they can do together on the floor? Because I don't, I don't think, and maybe I've missed it, I don't think we've seen that combination, right? It hasn't, hasn't happened a lot. You know, it's happened some, and I agree with you. I mean, I think it might actually unlock the best of Rob to let him be more of a catch-and-shoot guy, you know, and kind of maybe a secondary playmaker, and then he can take the the toughest defensive assignments. Right. So, you know, I don't know. It, I, it frustrates me, too, that we never change the lineup, and it's just, you know, look, some coaches are kind of creatures of habit. They get in comfort zones with lineups. They don't want to change it. And that's Archie. You know, I, he's just not a guy who really does that very often. You know, but I will say... You know, looking at some of the data at Hooplens, which gives you a lot of like on off court data. Well, over the last four games, you know, where Indiana's played four top 25 teams, Landers played about 30% of the minutes. He, Indiana has its highest efficiency margin, basically, you know, offensive points per possession and then defensive points per possession. The highest margin between those two of an individual when he's on the court is Christian Lander. And the other guys who are coming up the highest on that are the young guys. Now, you know, there's, you got to put the context in there. They're playing against other teams' bench guys. They're playing fewer possessions. It's a smaller sample size, all of that stuff. But it matches what we're seeing. And it's, it, it matches the impact that we're seeing from these young guys. And so let's hold that thought because there's plenty more uh, to talk about on that topic because it was definitely one of the biggest storylines to come out of that game. So stick with us here as we continue our breakdown of Indiana's 67-65 victory over Iowa. I will point out to uh, last night's meaningful moment that you might have missed, and then we will go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. You are listening to The Assembly Call. Stick with us. Sticky Notes. 
Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. Or sometimes the day after, if the postgame show can't start right after the game. You know, as long as we get it in within like 36 hours, right? I think we're, uh, I think we're good. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with our special guest co-hosts here, Coach Jeff Marlowe and Kathy Amos. Uh, two of our most active and astute members of the Assembly Call community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, and it is time now for the meaningful moment that you might have missed. So we ended segment one talking about the young guys, and I want to talk about them a little bit more. Because, Coach, you know, you you mentioned the stretch at the end of the first half and how much fun it was. And when I rewatched the game again last night, it was so much fun to watch the stretch. So, you know, Indiana had battled back from that early deficit. I think it was 17-4 Iowa at one point. And they kind of battled back, but then Iowa had extended the lead out again. It was 31-25. to And the young guys sparked a run. And what was great is what began the run was a defensive play by Christian Lander. He got a deflection on an inbounds pass. That led to a Trace Jackson Davis dunk. Then on the other end, another terrific defensive play uh, by Race Thompson. He got a block shot. That uh, They got the ball out to Armand Franklin. He got it out to Christian Lander, uh, who drained a three from the left wing. You know, and this is one of those things, like, you might say, okay, you know, Christian, do you need to take a shot that early? Yes. How long has it been since we've had someone who will take a big three in transition? We're always so cautious in transition. I actually thought, you know, Christian took six shots. I actually didn't have a problem with him. Uh, as you know, Coach Jeff, as you mentioned in the chat, you know, a couple of those were at the end of the shot clock. A couple of them were in transition. You know, I've had problems with shots that he's taken before, and sometimes he does get a little shot happy. I didn't have a problem uh, with any of those shots that he took yesterday, but that one was huge. Those were his only points, but they were huge points. Like that was a dagger type shot that you need someone to be able to step up and hit. Um, and, you know, and look, that's the other thing I loved about this game is you see that Lander kind of has that killer instinct, just like Armand Franklin has that killer instinct. And those two guys are, are definitely building blocks uh, for the guard rotation uh, moving along. And then the other guy who came back a couple possessions later is Anthony Leal, knocked down a three-pointer. And so Indiana ends up going up uh, 30, whatever Indiana went up there, 33 to 31, I think. Um, and it was, it was quick. You know, it happened like that, got Indiana some momentum right there before halftime. Again, the Hoosiers would give that all back with a poor start to the second half. But, man, you know, you get – that's the one thing that I really feel like you get when the young guys are in is you get some runs like that, you know, where, you know, they can put up like 8 to 10 points really quickly, and, and we don't often get that um, otherwise. So that was really nice to see. Kathy, I know you mentioned that you, uh, you, you had that. I love it when people come on here with moments and they've got the time marked. That is a that is a professional. Um, do you have any other meaningful moments that you want to point out? Um, yeah, you know, I think. Um, let's see. So I, I wrote down too many, 
too many notes this time. So um, <laughs> that's how my notes always end up looking. <laughs> yeah. So t- speaking of time left, so six thirty three left in the first half. Uh, one of the things I think we've talked a lot about in the chat mob and, and on your show is our lack of ability to guard the inbound. Um, especially under our opponent's basket. And at 6.33 with under the basket, we actually guarded it well, actually led to a turnover from Iowa that we ended up taking down. And um, I believe we scored on the other end. So that for me was pretty meaningful just because we, I think we've talked about that all year and it seems like we haven't been able to successfully do it. And again, it was one of those things it was in the first half. Does this set the tone? And it, it felt like it did, right? Because it was six and a half minutes left in the in that first half. And then we really started to pick it up after after that. And and um, then you mentioned the other meaningful moment, which I think was in that that time too, where Christian Lander just made this fantastic pass down to TJD, which I, I don't honestly think any of our other guards could have made that pass to him underneath the basket. And um, so it was just, that was something that I enjoyed seeing. So I was happy to <laughs> to see some out of bounds defense leading into some really great momentum in that first half in particular. So that was one of my meaningful moments in, in addition to the one you've mentioned and the one I already talked about with race on the offensive rebound. Yeah. And, you know, the other one, coach, that, you know, that I want to mention real quick again is Rob Finnessy's shot, which, you know, was going to get lost in the fact that it didn't come right at the end like Armand's did. But, you know, Rob was 0 for 7 coming into that shot. How mm-hmm. do we convince Rob Finnessy that every shot he takes is under two minutes in a close game? Because he never <laughs> seems to miss <laughs> those shots, you know? And, I don't know, Coach, like, what do you think that is? Because it's almost like, you know, at the very end of the game, you know, it's almost like there's no pressure, right? Because, hey, you take that shot and, you know, you make it, you're the hero, you miss it, you're 0 for 8, whatever, who cares, you know? And it's like it's like he shoots with kind of reckless abandon at the end of a game, but he's real tight otherwise. And I don't I don't know what it is. But there's there's something about it that, you know, big shots, he hasn't made them all, but man, from his freshman year, like in a in a big moment when he steps up to take a shot, maybe like the other 37 minutes of the game, you don't think it's going in. But I think all IU fans kind of expect a shot like that to just go in from him at this point. I, there's something, Jared, I, have, I was having this discussion with a few of my coaching friends that, you know, these guys are all coming out of the AAU circuit now. And they're usually not much hesitation to shoot in the AAU circuit. And we all seem, all of our guys seem hesitant, especially from outside to shoot. So I wonder if to a certain degree, they're so preached in practice about what a good shot or the perfect shot is that they always are willing to think, well, we can get a better shot later in the possession. Whereas you mentioned Landers transition three. I love that because your best shot opportunities in that situation often are early. If you go back to some of the really good night teams, they didn't come down and then walk, especially post 1978, 79, they, they, they took advantage of transition by hitting quick. And that's where I think we lack sometimes with that. But then at the end of the game, Rob's like, you know what? We ain't got time. I haven't got time to get the perfect shot now. We got to get a good shot, get it up. And I think he just goes back to his natural instinct. But I totally agree with you. I I would like to see him play with Lander off the ball a little bit and see if he'd just be a catch-and-shoot guy. And and I think that would be helpful for him. My meaningful moment, you kind of talked about at the beginning, was – 
I was screaming at the TV yesterday because it seems like Archie traditionally is a timeout guy in that last possession. And I hate the timeout there. I didn't like calling it when I was coaching. I always believed the, you know, the best thing, you know, Bohanna hit that shot and they weren't totally celebrating, but you know, your best effort is you got them maybe cross matched up or you've got them having to, you know, to talk a little bit more than they might have to, but you call timeout and that allows the opposing coach to set his defense. And sometimes you have a hard time getting it in bounds. So now you've really kind of messed it up. So I was screaming at the TV, no timeout, no timeout. And they didn't take it. And he let it run down. And the part in the second part of that was the low one four, because it seems like everybody wants to bring a ball screen to that play and try to get some, you know, create a mismatch. And to me, that's, I hate that. I, I want the team. I want the kid to have space. All you're doing is bringing another defender into it. And he allowed Armand to have space space and he was going to make the play and we talked about it earlier that he was either going to find somebody or he had confidence to hit the shot so those were my meaningful moments and when kind of 1b i guess i'd like to thank fran mccaffrey for setting garza for 12 minutes in the first half <laughs> yes yes i forgot about that yes right. the auto bench which you know look i've hated on this show since this show began i can't stand it the best player in college basketball sat on the bench for 12 minutes with two fouls yeah. But I mean, good thing, right? Because he finished with yep. checks notes, two yeah. fouls. Yeah. Look, you know, does Iowa win that game if Luca Garza plays twelve more minutes? I don't know. I don't care. But if you're mm -hmm. gonna give us that gift, we will take it. Right. So thank you, Fran McCaffrey. And then of course, you know, he has the gall to like rip some reporter who asked him about it after the game. Like that is a valid question. If you make a strategic choice like that, explain it. And if your explanation is look, this is just my philosophy. Fine. I'll disagree with you, but whatever. But don't. It's a perfectly valid question. It's also a stupid strategy. So thank you, Fran. Um, the, other, the other moment that we have to mention is Jordan Geronimo, who once again came through big against Iowa. And, you know, it's easy to forget about these points that happen early in the game. But again, Iowa was up big early in this game, 17 to 4 at one point. Now, who came up and scored? You know, the next two baskets for Indiana, Race Thompson hit a jumper and then got to the free throw line. But then after that, it was Jordan Geronimo who, you know, got in there. Trace Jackson Davis hadn't done anything up until that point. And Jordan Geronimo stepped up and, you know, had a layup, had a dunk. He just seems to be in the right place at the right time. You know, he's a guy who still is learning, you know, how this game is played. He's, you know, just kind of like all, all arms and legs flailing out there, but he's, he plays hard and he plays with energy, and you can see the game slowing down for him. And whereas early in the season, he would be running to the wrong spot, and they'd be trying to run a play, and he'd be kind of looking around, not knowing where to go. Now he's in the right spot, and he's making plays. This is the stuff that happens with freshmen uh, come February. And, you know, I was talking about the, you know, the on-court, off-court data that I was looking at, and he's not far behind Christian Lander. You know, when he's on the court, good things have been happening. And, you know, it's one of those interesting things because – you know, you can very easily, you know, see some of that data, you know, and Anthony Leal's the same way, you know, big efficiency margin when he's on the court and it's like, well, shoot, you know, play those guys 30 minutes. Well, you know, it, it's very possible that Archie Miller is doing minutes the right way and that these guys are getting the right amount of minutes that they've earned. They're not getting overexposed. So it's maximizing their efficiency. They're getting to play against the other team's bench guys. Like, you know, we, we can never see what would happen if Jordan Geronimo were playing, you know, 25 minutes right now. This seems like a good amount for him to come in, be an energy guy, play in short bursts, and do what he did in this game. Now, I would like to see maybe those bursts be a little bit longer, you know, get him get him some other time. But those two buckets that he made were really important as Indiana just tried to get themselves back into the game, 
you know, he and race down low uh, were able to get Indiana going, and that was nice to see from him. Uh, again, let's talk about numbers. Uh, a lot of interesting numbers in this game. The one that really jumps out uh, to me is 15 offensive rebounds. You know, this has not been a team that has been as prolific of an offensive rebounding team as we've seen in Archie's first few years. Um, and it's interesting because Archie's teams at Dayton, actually his better defensive teams weren't always great in terms of offensive rebounding. Um, but you know, this team, especially against Iowa really, you know, used that to their advantage, uh, ended up getting, you know, turning those offensive rebounds into 11 second chance points, but you know, it wasn't just the offensive rebounds, you know, also five blocks and eight steals. There was just an activity level. You know, and you see that in offensive rebounds. You see it in blocks. You see it in steals. And I always look to those numbers because when Indiana has low block and steal numbers, you know it probably wasn't a very good defensive effort because they just weren't very active. You know, and so, Coach, as I look at the numbers, those two really jump out to me because Indiana, it, it was obviously an imperfect performance. They did a lot of things wrong, but they played hard and they played active. And just like, you know, Illinois came into Assembly Hall and, it's not that we didn't play hard, but they played harder and they played tougher. You know, Rutgers did that to us. Well, yesterday against Iowa, we played harder and we played tougher than they did. Uh, I think that's ultimately why we ended up winning the game. And those two stats, it really, really jumps out to me. What numbers jump out to you? Well, I, I'll say this. I listened to Fish earlier today on one of the local radio shows, and he talked about the fact that, that when you can tell when they come out early and are ready to bang, that's going to really set the tone for them. If they're not ready to bang, he does. And I agree as a coach. If you're not ready to go out there from the get-go, it's hard to flip the switch and turn it on. So I think you're on to something there in terms of that intensity level, and it shows up in the rebounding. I talked about this in the scouting report in the community. It, to me, rebounding is effort. I know you can talk about positioning, screen out, all that, but it's about want to. Dennis Rodman may have been the greatest rebounder in, in basketball history, if not at least one of the top five, because he just wanted it. He wanted to go get the ball. And that's what I saw yesterday. How many times if you go back and watch the game, there were several times we didn't have the best position, but TJD, race Jordan Geronimo we're all at least keeping the ball alive till well, one of our guards could snatch it you know out loose so I totally agree about the rebound I was more interested in the fact we only allowed Iowa six offensive rebounds all right and with a team that had a little more size than us that was one of my concerns going in was that they would just kind of play bully ball and just back us down and if they missed it go get the rebound and and really cause us trouble the other um, the other major stat for me was I know everybody points to our free throw shooting and yeah 62 and a half percent for the game isn't good eight for 11 in the second half when it was time to make it winning time we hit our free throws eight for 11 which turns out to what is that uh 73 in the second half you know yep. that's, that's that. to me was a huge key and, and then also kind of another one just real quick and i'll let you guys talk about our turnover rates a whole lot better than it was early in the season we had nine turnovers against iowa yesterday yeah kathy what numbers jumped out to you yeah, so Jeff, thanks for the segue. Perfect. Turnovers. So we had nine. Iowa only had 11, which sounds great on paper. What what to me really stuck out was the points off the turnover. So Iowa only scored five off of our nine turnovers, mm -hmm. but we scored 17 off of their 11. And to me, that was a huge thing in this game. So not only did our defense step up and create turnovers, we had at eight steals in the game but they led to points on the other end. So this is the, the thing that we keep hearing about our identity as defensive, defensive team, right? That defense leads to offense. And in this case, it really truly did. Um, on the negative side, so I'm going to go positive, negative, positive. 
positive is the points off of turnovers. My negative has to be our, our three starting guards, right? Rob, Al, Armand going four of 26. I will say that two of those 26 came in very key times and they were clutch for us at the end, but we cannot have our, um, you know, three guards that are starting go four of 26. Like so that, that has to be something where they can, they have to improve on. But to end on my, my positive though, are the assists. So we moved oh. the ball and we had ended up with 15 assists. And so to me, those were the key things that I really enjoyed seeing from this, this team um, Sunday were points off of turnovers and then the 15 assists. Um, it's a good point. You know, and look, the guards get a lot of grief. Um, and I think with, with good reason, cause they've struggled and they've struggled to score, but you look at a couple of the stats that we thought were going to be keys coming into the season, turnover rate and assist rate. Can we limit turnovers and can we, you know, get more assists? Can we have, you know, more guys creating plays for others? Well, right now, Indiana's turnover rate for the season is 16.9%, which is 60th in the country. That's really good. Uh, they're fifth in big 10 play assist rate is 56.2%, which is 81st. So also top 100 and in big 10 play, uh, it's seventh. So not great, but right there in the middle, that's growth, you know, and you know, look, you know, part of, part of the thing with, with Rob and Al is sometimes they're kind of reticent to make plays and part of it, cause they don't want to make mistakes. That's a double-edged sword. You know, you're going to reduce some of your turnovers and save some possessions. Although if those possessions end and, you know, bad shots at the end of the shot clock, you know, was it worth saving? But you, you do prevent some of those run out, you know, offensive opportunities that other teams have gotten. And when our defense can get set up, for the most part, it's pretty good. So, you know, we got to give those guys some credit for those numbers because they're the ones handling the ball the majority of the time. Uh, and they're, you know, they're helping put those numbers in a place where Indiana can win with those numbers. Now, you got to have more scoring from your backport, but you can win with those numbers. So, Jared, um, what is our free throw rate then? Like, where do we rank in free throw rate getting to the line? Free throw rate, a- it's 40.7. Nationally, it's 17th. I believe it's first in the conference. No, third in the conference. Okay. So, so it's really good. definitely a point of emphasis for us, obviously. And we're getting there. We can talk all day long about not converting all of that. That's fine. My, my theoretical um, question, and maybe Jeff, um, as a coach, you can help me with this. Sometimes do I felt like, especially at the first half, we worried too much about getting to the line and we were driving the ball super hard and we were expecting contact that maybe didn't always come. And then as a result of not getting that contact, we weren't finishing that, that play. Like how many times did we seem to miss shots underneath the basket? And I wonder if that's being attributed to all they are hearing is get to the line, get to the line, get to the line. They drive, they don't get contact. And now they're, they either can't play through the contact that does come, no fouls called, or they're expecting it doesn't come. But what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Well, I think that you're on to something, Kathy. And I saw this a couple of games ago. It might have even been in the Rutgers game. We've gotten so focused on trying to jam the ball to the rim. I think in the first half yesterday, I had it written down. I think I had it on Twitter yesterday. But I think in the first half, we were three for 14 on layups. layups. Seven for 22 for the game. Yeah. yeah. I, and, and, and I get the idea of 
collection was all around the basket and they were, they were, it was, yeah, it made me sad. And that's one of the things I was going to point out a little earlier, but we didn't, we kind of moved on from it and that's fine. But it, it, you'll see like when Anthony Leal's in the game and there's been a lot of criticism of Archie's offense with Armand Franklin in the corner, but if you watch the game and, and again, I, I try not to watch the ball cause it's a magnet obviously, but it you'll see Anthony Leal in the corner who's calling. He'll be like this with his hand. I'm open, swing it. And it doesn't move quick enough. And that's where you want, Anthony Leal, drive it into the paint, let the defense collapse, and then kick it out to a kid like Anthony Leal who can then set his feet and will shoot the ball fairly well for you. And that's part of what I'm with you, Kathy, that I don't understand this. this I know they want to get to the line. But if you looked at it, uh, Iowa's free throw rate as an, uh, from their opponent's standpoint, they are really good at not putting their opponent at the line. And, you know, there was a point yesterday, which, again, I'm not a fan of Big Ten officiating, but it was seven to nothing in fouls. That we were, I was shooting one on one, and we hadn't even got. They hadn't had to foul yet. So yeah, that all that, half. all yeah, in the second half, all that driving to the basket wasn't doing you any good. When you're not making shots, you're not getting to the line. You have to adjust, and we just kept driving, driving, driving. But we did it against Illinois. We did it against Rutgers. So that has to be what they're getting in the practice in the pregame, the scouting report. Jam it, jam it, jam it. But again, I want to see them kick it out once in a while because that's where your wide open three comes. Yep. Yep. Well said. And look, you know, Indiana took 23 three-pointers. Would you have guessed coming into the game that Indiana would shoot more threes than Iowa? No, I, I certainly wouldn't have. And look, Indiana only shot 26.1% in the game, and that is not great. But I was happy to see the volume be higher. You know, some of the threes they hit were really big, and if they keep shooting that volume, they're usually going to make more. Because as much as we deride Indiana's three-point shooting, and it's not good enough, it needs to get better, you know, it's in the top half of the country. It's 120th right now nationally at 34.7%. Indiana is fourth in conference play at 35.3%. So the percentage is good enough. The issue is they're like 300th in volume, and they're dead last in the Big Ten in volume. And if you just take some more of those, which Lander and Leal usually do when they're you know on the court, and you can shoot a, a moderately good you know, percentage of those, it's going to improve your your offensive efficiency. And so, you know, Jeff, you bring up a great point about Anthony Leo, and this is, you know, one of the notes Ryan sent over um, was, you know, one of the things that he really notices, and one of the reasons why I think the offense, you know, functions better when those young guys are out there is, you know, Leal is respected as a shooter, and there's a certain gravity he has with the defense, and him being on the court helps spread the floor. Same thing with Lander, because they know that those guys will, will take and can make three-pointers. So, you know, that needs to continue to be a weapon. I think we know Indiana's bread and butter is getting the ball inside. That's fine. That's where the strength is. But keep taking the threes, guys, because I think we can we can handle. You said, Jeff, four for eight against Illinois. I mean, you know, shooting 50% when you only take eight threes, I do not care. That's ter- that's that's bad three-point shooting. You know, it, I, Mark Titus has that, you know, that rule that if a guy is shooting like 40% from three, he's not shooting enough three-pointers. You need to shoot enough threes so that your so that your efficiency is like 37, 38%, but you're making them at that your vol you know your efficiency is better than if you're just a high volume two-point guy. So we need to keep that in mind I think and find opportunities to shoot more threes because the offense was definitely creating them. And again, it's against Iowa. Not all defenses are that easy, yeah. but I think we need to find opportunities to take more of them. And it's Iowa in February. But you, <laughs> yeah. The Fran fade <laughs> is in full effect. And, yeah, and I think Leo needs I, to shoot more. I, he yes, only shot three, three times. I, so I don't know necessarily that people are respecting him as a shooter as they're not 
respect him as a shooter because he doesn't shoot. Like, I know he can shoot. We know he can shoot. But the other teams, I, you know, did they scout him in high school? No, but he's sure not shooting it now. I don't think he shoots enough. So Keep shooting, Anthony. I agree. Yeah, I think he needs to shoot more. Mm-hmm. I will actually say this, though, Kathy, if you watch that Iowa bench yesterday in the first half, uh, when he hit that first three, their whole bit, their coaching staff all reacted because he was wide open and they were all like, get out here, get out here. So they knew Anthony Leal was a shooter and they lost track of him. And the other thing about that is I guess where Lander makes a difference is his ability to get into the paint. And then he's probably not going to go to the rim at this point. He's not probably strong enough, physically enough to get there, but he'll kick it out. And I agree, Jared. I think we got the, we see a lot of this on social media now about how it's a 1950s offense, but it does need to have more of a three point vibe to it. It need there needs to be more threes. And, and I just think that's something you gotta, we gotta have more of And you can't, I want to get to the line. Don't get me wrong, but I think you get to the line just as easily if you're shooting the three, hitting enough of them to draw the defense out and allowing TJD and race to go one-on-one. Let's do both. Yep. <laughs> They're both very efficient shots. Let's get to the free exactly. throw line. And let's, because <laughs> the offense creates threes. Like we pass up open shots because we're so committed sometimes to getting it inside. The last number that I want to mention before we move on, you know, what are we, how long are we into the show? Mm, 51 and a half minutes. We haven't really mentioned this guy. It's the guy who led Indiana in scoring is Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah. And look, when you're the All-American candidate, when you're the superstar, you know, the bar is high. Trace did not play well in the first half of this yeah. game. It was a very poor performance from him in the first half of the game. That's why the minutes that Jordan Geronimo gave were huge. But the last stat I want to mention, Trace Jackson Davis, second half, 13 points, 5 of 5 from the field, 7 rebounds, had a block shot. He was so much more active. And again, you know, I think, you know, him being out there with Lander and with some of those guys, like he would, they were able to get up and down a little bit more. He was able to get some open looks, but he really kind of had that, that Trace Jackson Davis fire in his eyes a little bit more and was playing with more purpose. Like he, you know, we've seen it more the last four or five games than we want to see. Like he will drift in and out of games. And, you know, fortunately for Indiana, he really, you know, came back and came ready to play in the second half because they obviously needed every bit of those points, you know. And so uh, I think, you know, overall for the game, Race Thompson was Indiana's best player. But Trace Jackson Davis in the second half was the star that we need him to be. No, I don't think there's any reason that Trace couldn't have had 13 points and seven rebounds in the first half and had a 26-14 day. He just didn't play as well. <laughs> the first half. Um, but it was nice to see him come back in the second half because that's what a leader does. That's what a star does uh, is come back and play that way in the second half. So he's got to be more consistent, you know, I, I think for this team down the stretch to, to win some of the games that we're going to need to win. Um, but he was good in the second half and that was nice to see. Jeff, you want to make a final point about Trace before we go? I just get the feel the last few games, Jared, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I just feel like he's got a, a, a vibe or a, 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 a he's more in sync with the younger guards. Now, whether that's because of the AAU background where he played a little bit more with those guys, but even Lander alluded to this before the season started about he basically was coming to IU to play with TJD. And it just seems like there was a better vibe, at least in the second half, then in the first half too. But I thought I saw it in the Illinois game too when Lander played and, 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 the, and, and the other guards, the other young younger guards were in there that he was more kind of in vibe with them, I guess, you know, he was in, in, like you said, or like I said earlier, TJ, he's getting a couple pocket passes from Lander that he's not getting from their guy. And I'm not trying to say the other guys aren't looking for him, but it's just like, he's got that vibe with them that I just don't seem to have with our Rob right now. Yeah. Kathy, last point on trace. Yeah. So just real quick. So, um, 
I'll try to be quick. It's not my forte. So, uh, Trace. You're filling in for Ryan. Trust me. You're going to be much quicker than he ever <laughs> So I should start interrupting is what I just heard. Okay, got it. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> so so my here's my, my deal with, with, with Trace. He didn't score until nine minutes left in the first half. Only had first four points in the first half. And I listened, obviously, to Coach Miller's postgame um, comments about him. And I, I thought he actually hit it spot on. Like, you look at a stat line, 17 points, 12 rebounds, it was another double-double. But if you look at the game in totality, to me, it, it wasn't there. Not what I would expect from an All-American. If he had played up to his potential the whole game, he would have ended up with 30 points. Yep. And that, to me, is what, which, which is what Coach Miller was talking about. He said, as good as he, he was, he, there's more to him, and he has another level. I want to see that another level from Trace. We're, we're running out of time to see that next gear from him. Um, so to me, that's what my takeaway is traces. He's fantastic. The team doesn't do what they do without him, but he can be better. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. It's a high bar, but that's a bar that he and Archie placed there at the beginning of the season, talking about all American stuff. And for the most part, he's lived up to it. You know, I want to, I don't want to seem like I'm down on trace because he's had a phenomenal season. He's a really good player. But, you know, when you see what a guy is capable of, it's like, hey, let's let's see it more. So I think we're just trying to hold him accountable to what we've seen from him and what I'm sure he expects from himself. But he brought it in the second half, and that was definitely nice to see. All righty. Uh, coming up on the assembly call, it is time to hand out our game balls, hitting the other lingering storylines from the Mike plus the Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award, and then we will look ahead to Indiana's next opponent, the time change for that game. We'll give you those details coming up on the assembly call. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Thank you, Romeo. You are listening to the assembly call IU postgame show. Catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game or, you know, the day after sometimes when we have to. Uh, plus, every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. While you are there, make sure that you sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 7,000 of your fellow IU fans have subscribed. It might actually be 8,000 now. I need to check that. Uh, but there's a lot of them. You can also text IU to 66866 uh, to subscribe to the newsletter. That's IU to 66866. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Kathy Amos and the coach. Jeff Marlowe filling in for the coach, Brian Tonsoni and Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms uh, and doing a, a fantastic job. You guys have been awesome. So this has been great. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you came on. Uh, all right. It is time for our game balls. I have a feeling where we're all going, but let's make it official. Kathy, who gets your game ball? Oh, let me think really hard. Mm, I'll go with race. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> easy. <laughs> race Thompson. Jeff, are you going with race too? 
Yeah, I will say I will preface this by saying after the game, I probably in the heat, in the moment in the euphoria, I was going with my guy Lander. But after thinking about it for night, I got to go with race. And you know, 15 points, six rebounds, four blocks of steel. Great defense. It's race. Yeah, and he played. How many? He played thirty minutes uh, in the game. Gosh, it felt like he played more than that. And like mm-hmm. every 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 play, I'm thinking about it feels like Race was involved in the play. So I don't know where those ten minutes are that, that he was off the court, but he was just so impactful. Uh, it was the just, same with those rebounds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I felt like he had like I know. five million rebounds and he had six. I know he was he was just yeah. terrific. Ryan sent in his vote ahead of time for Race too, so I think it's it's pretty unanimous. And he is a guy that just continues to get better and better, you know. And I think. You know, I don't, I don't, haven't looked at how everybody else is playing in the Big Ten, but I would have to think he's putting himself in a position to be kind of an honorable mention, all Big Ten type guy. Uh, you know, even if the numbers, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of the guys, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that he could be this guy, but it's kind of coming to fruition. He reminds me of the guys that Michigan State always has, the big guys, where the numbers don't always jump out, but you watch the games and you're like, dang, that guy's impactful. You know, like a Xavier Tillman. He's not at that level yet. Don't get me wrong. But where, you know, the numbers don't tell the full story, but you watch the game and you're like, that's an all Big Ten player right there because he just makes plays, you know, and that's what he did for Indiana uh, in such a big way. So that was great to see. Uh, okay. Next we have up. Some votes too for Fran, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Some votes for Fran. Yes, for sticking Luca Garza on the bench. Okay. Yeah. And the 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 um technical foul, I'm sure. Okay. Didn't. <laughs> sure. Bonus votes for Fran McCaffrey. We can do that. Okay, next up it is time for And here's something very exciting about the Coach Roberts Real Hustle Award today and for the rest of the season. It has a sponsor now. <laughs> the Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award presented by Evansville Security Services. You know, in basketball, good defense requires help. You need your help to be in the right place at the right time. And the same principle applies in life too, especially when it comes to protecting your business or loved ones. And this is where Evansville Security Services steps in, like Trace Jackson Davis providing timely defensive help from the weak side. Evansville Security Services provides off-duty police officers to businesses and individuals throughout Indiana, and you can choose between uniformed or non-uniformed officers. In addition to providing services to businesses, Evansville Security Services works with individuals as well, so you can hire an officer as a personal bodyguard to accompany you when traveling something Ted Valentine should probably consider if he's ever gallivanting around Kirkwood. Uh, Or if you want to hire uh, someone for safeguarding your family at home, and Evansville Security Services also provides supportive staff for funeral processions, uh, giving the family a feeling of dignitary status on a difficult day. And you can count on the folks at ESS to conduct themselves in a professional manner at all times, and all of their off-duty officers are equipped with the industry's best equipment. And here's the best part. With an off-duty cop on the job, your security officer won't have to waste time calling 911 and then wait because they're already police officers. So go to EvansvilleSecurityServices.com to learn more. That's EvansvilleSecurityServices.com, or you can call 812-214-1132. Tell them that the assembly call sent you, and remember, prevention cannot be measured. Okay, so let Evansville Security Services help you prevent a bad outcome today. Look at that. The Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award. A throwaway comment at one point by coach, I think. And now it's got it's got its own sponsor. That's how things work here on the assembly call. Um, all right. <clears throat> Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award. I, the one reason I like this is there's usually like less consensus on this. You know, the game ball, we kind of all usually know who it's going to. And then everybody kind of has their own flavor for the Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award. So, Kathy, who gets yeah. your Real Hustle Award? 
yeah, I can't even come to consensus with myself. So that's, that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really did. I struggled with this one, the game and I thought about it and I thought about it and I'm not going to give it to one person. I'm giving it to our bench. Our bench had 19 Ooh. points outscored the bench or I was bench 19 to five. Um, right. They're all freshmen. I, I can't pick just one, one dude. I'm, I'm so I'm giving my, my real hustle award to the entire bench. The entire bench. We're going to need the chat mob to rule. Is that a cop-out by Kathy? Or is that actually a really astute selection? Because, I mean, it's true. I mean, they all they all earned it. So we'll let the chat mob rule on whether they're going to allow that. I think it's a good pick, though. Uh, My husband is voting cop-out already. So. <laughs> My uh, husband, the now Iowa Hawkeye converted into Indiana. So. Tell your husband, you know, it's real easy to be a critic from the sidelines, but you're the one here on Zoom. <laughs> putting your opinions out there for the world to criticize. We appreciate that. <laughs> Jeff, who gets your uh, well, Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award? I was kind of somewhat like Kathy. I was kind of first thought more about a con- consensus type, you know, if the, f- the freshman is a, and more just a freshman because I was, bis- you know, so many of those kids, Leal, Geronimo, especially, even Lander, have sat for long minutes this year and, or even not gotten in games. And here they are now playing some really meaningful minutes for us. One thing I saw was in the stat line was nine guys all played 10 or more minutes yesterday. And that may be the first time I've seen that this year where we've had nine guys in double digit minutes. But I did not know the segment was going to be sponsored out of Evansville, but I went with the Evansville kid Lander as my hustle award. Nice. Right, Kathy, you know, we've got some, we've got some commentary coming in here, you know, now people as esteemed as coach Tonsoni says it's astute. Joel says it's astute, several others. Um, but then you've got Patrick who says, Kathy, you're doing a great job, but that's a cop out. Jen says she knows the rules here, even says you chose to move into that neighborhood. Uh, so I think you're getting called out by Jen. So I'm, I'm going to give you a chance. Are you going to stick to your guns and give it to the entire bench, or do you want to single anybody out? You know, I've never stick been to one to back guns. down from. Yes. I'm going to with my guns. Do not let the <laughs> chat mob pressure you out of a good opinion. Well done. Um, I, ugh, I'm going to have to agree with Ryan on this one. Uh, he sent this in, but it was definitely my pick. I'm giving it to Armand Franklin. Um, and it's, you know, look, he hit the shot. That was huge. What impressed me so much about Armand throughout this game was how hard he competed because his defense on Joe Wieskamp in the second half was terrific. Um, Where are Wieskamp's numbers? He finished with three points in the second half, only got three shots off, and he played 18 minutes. And that's a guy who, you know, doesn't even need much space to get a shot off and who you know they're looking at with C.J. Frederick out. You know, that's an important missing piece for Iowa that has not been there. I think he played a little bit in the first game, you know, hasn't played, and so it is... It's easy to talk about the Fran fade and how Iowa's fading in February like they always do, and that is true. It's also true that you know their offense is constructed in a really particular way where you surround Luca Garza with you know a lot of elite shooting, and so with Frederick out of there, it does make them easier to guard. Um, but you know, so Wieskamp is that guy, and he you know in the first half he took nine shots, was six for nine, and Armand Franklin I think took it upon himself to say not anymore, and that's on an ankle that isn't even good, and then ended the game knocking down a shot in Joe Wieskamp's face. So you know I. Look, Armand is showing every sign that you want from a guy who wants to be a go-to guy, wants to step up and make shots. Not always able to do it right now. Like I said, his shot is coming and going. But you know you're going to get everything that guy has to offer uh, when he's out there. And so he he really epitomizes what we wanted the the Mike Roberts Real Hustle Award to be. So I'm going to go with Armand Franklin. Chat mob, feel free. I mean, I think you could almost go with anybody, you know, because everybody played so hard and, and, and just – 
you know, an ugly game in so many ways, but they played so hard. Like we're, I don't know. Are we really, are we that difficult of a fan base to please? Like every, I think people, are we, I mean, maybe we are, (laughs) but I feel like all we want to see is like, okay. Yeah. Okay. But like in another world, like let's say that, you know, Armand shot, you know, rims out, and they go down and like hit a crazy last second bucket to win the game. We'd all be disappointed. We'd be lamenting all of the missed opportunities, you know, and the bad plays that were glazing over in this celebratory post game show. But I still feel like the tone would have been much different than the Rutgers or even Illinois game because they, they really, I thought they had a different level of tenacity and togetherness in this game than we saw in those games. Mm-hmm. So, and I, th- I thought that was really epitomized by Armand. Fine, we are a difficult fan base to please, but I okay. But I don't think we have unreasonable expectations. Let me put it that way. No, maybe we do. Whatever. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. fine, maybe we do. Um, any other lingering storylines? I will say, you know, one guy that we haven't mentioned that certainly at least deserves some mention is Trey Galloway, yeah. who made a three pointer. Um, you know, did not, did he have a turnover? He did have, he did have one turnover, yeah. uh, but I think continued what has been better play from him. And I think it's, a what's the best way to say this? Like, I think his play is a little bit quieter. Like I think for a while there, he was getting it and was like a bull in the China shop and was really trying to do almost too much, uh, every time he got the ball. And so I think he's making fewer mistakes, but picking his spots to make more plays, and is always, you know, going to be a relatively solid defender. Um, you know, so three rebounds, uh, four points for him. Uh, you know, and this goes along, Kathy, with your, you know, the bench, um, you know, really contributing. He was he was part of it too. So a little bit easier to overlook than the other guys, but still still contributed some important minutes for Indiana. Yeah, the only thing I'd like to come back to is what Kathy was talking about earlier in the set in the show was I my frustration. My Ryan Rant is the whole lineup in the second half. I I just do not understand how you go on a 9-0 run with a group that showed energy, showed some toughness, showed some grit. And then you go back to the starters who dug yourself a hole 17, you know, I think it was 11 to four in the first to the first media timeout and then an eight Oh or eight to two run in the second. I, I don't get it. And I just, to me as a coach, I, if in those situations, that didn't always happen, but we get those type of runs. But if I had a nine Oh run, I was going there at halftime and committing those kids. Like, hey, we're going to start the five. that was on the floor at the end of the half. I, I just don't, I know he's a system guy and that's part of my frustration because he's going to sub the same guys is, you know, who's coming in at the under first time media timeout when, you know, unless somebody gets in crazy foul trouble, you can always predict the rotations through the first half, especially, but I just like the idea there of rewarding a group of guys that get, got you a lead when you look like, well, bear watch my language. It looked, you know, looked pretty terrible through most of the first half. Yeah. Um, a stat for you on that, Jeff. So I mentioned these last four games. Uh, Indiana, slightly positive in efficiency margin overall. You know, two and two in these two games, you know, with the two wins over Iowa, slightly positive in efficiency margin. However, look at the first 10 minutes of the first half. Indiana is being outscored by five and a half points. First 10 minutes of the second half, Indiana being outscored by three points. And this has been a theme that we've seen in past seasons with Archie, where you're really digging yourself some holes here. And... You know, it didn't come back to bite us against Iowa, even though those were the two games where we got down the most early, ironically. Um, Fortunately, they have the defense where you can come back pretty easily on them. But, you know, Ohio State's coming up on the schedule. Another game at Purdue is coming up on the schedule. You know, a potential game against Michigan is coming up on the schedule. Um, We have seen 
games in particular against those three schools where Indiana comes out and starts poorly and you never get back into the game. So, you know, uh, I think Indiana needs to figure that out a little bit. And whether it's making a change to the starting lineup, uh, you know, whether it's those guys just being a little bit more solid, whatever it is, you know, I think we'd be a little presumptuous to say that we know the answer when we're not in there seeing practice and in the locker room and all that stuff. But I think we can all plainly see that it's a problem. And so as we head down the stretch of the season, there is so little margin for error. That's a problem that I think really needs to get fixed. You know, so we'll see uh, what they decide to try to do that. As we look ahead um, to the upcoming schedule, you know, it's interesting. After the first Iowa victory, we came on here on the postgame show. And I think every sentence that we uttered, we appended it with the caveat, but you know, we got to see what they do at home against Rutgers, you know? So I felt like we couldn't fully embrace that game. And then, you know, they come home and do exactly against Rutgers what we feared they were going to do. I'm glad about this. We have allowed ourselves to more fully indulge the win and we haven't been doing that on this show, but I think now we can, that this win is not going to matter. I mean, it's going to matter some because it's a win over a team that's going to the NCAA tournament, but it's not going to mean that much if we go out and fall on our face against Northwestern who won their first three big 10 games, including one against Indiana and has lost every single game since. So Kathy, as you look ahead to this Northwestern game, which by the way is no longer a 9 PM tip on Wednesday, yeah. it is now five 30 Eastern time. Uh, so that, you know, that'll be interesting. Uh, five 30 Eastern time on Wednesday. How are you viewing this game? I mean, it, it's, it's obviously not at like a literal must win, Pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I actually do see it as a must win. I mean, what, Archie, two and nine, right? It's we, we're hearing all the time, two and nine after beating a top 25 team. Um, you got to get it done all the time. And I understand you'll have some drop-offs here and there, but for Pete's sake, it's Northwestern. Um, we have to come out strong in that game. Um and one thing we haven't talked a whole lot about maybe was the defense also wasn't strong at the beginning of the Iowa game, right? Like they gave up what five, three pointers, five for five, yeah. right out, right out of the gate, yeah. um, finished up only eight of 21. So they clearly locked down. We, we need to learn to do that from the beginning. And I, that's what I'm really, really wanting to look at in this Northwestern game. Can our defense come out strong from the beginning and then can they maintain it? I, I just, and it's on the road, so we play better on the road, right? I mean, it's just such a strange, strange year as well. So it, it maybe it's not a, a must-win game, but I look at what's left with Ohio State, Minnesota, Michigan State, maybe Rutgers, Michigan, and Purdue. I don't know. I feel like this is a must-win. You you got to go up to to Evanston and beat Northwestern. Yeah, and that's not to say that it's uh you know you got to go win by twenty or we're not going to be happy. I mean, you look at Northwestern's last three games. All against teams, you know, ranked in Ken Palm right around Indiana, Penn State, Rutgers, and Purdue. They lost to Penn State by three. They lost to Rutgers by eight. They lost to Purdue by five. So, I mean, they're in, they've been in these games. Now, you go back further when they were playing Ohio State and Illinois and Michigan, they were getting blown out. But against teams like Indiana, they've been in the game. And that's, you know, that's dangerous for Indiana because we haven't been able to put some of these games away. And so that coach is really important. You know, hopefully there's a lesson to be taken from how they toughed out, gutted out, gritted out this win over Iowa that you can take to Northwestern because I fully expect that to be an ugly knockdown, drag out 40 minute game that you just have to survive. And that's all we're asking for. 
you know, just you're on the road in the Big Ten. You just got to go survive and get to that 11th victory. As you kind of look ahead and start previewing your game preview, what do you think are going to be the keys to Indiana doing that? Well, I'll, I'll kind of start with what you were talking about. It, I hate to say must win, but and because there's no easy games in the Big Ten on the road. I don't care what anybody's record is, but enough coach speak from that standpoint. You can't have an Iowa win or two Iowa wins and then have that balanced out with two losses to, to Northwestern on the resume. I, I just think those would be bad losses that maybe have a struggle overcoming. I know the bracketology had us in, most of them had us in today at some in a nine and a 10 seed, but I think if you go up there, it's all about, you have to stay connected on the shooters as well. Um, the names are escaping me, but that they had a kid that first game that just was killing us. The names always escape you arc. against Northwestern, but the shots always go in. <laughs> yeah. But I, and, and then you got it, you know, I'd like to see us continue to do more of that. What we did on offense, even with the, whether it's, the older guys or the younger guys drive and kick or, or get some transition threes, more volume threes, you know, and, and try to do that. And then I think we still got to play through the paint and paint touches to me are the word Archie wants it to be. So whether you dribble penetrate into the paint or whether you pass into the paint, but don't force it up. You're on the road. You're probably not going to get a lot of calls. Be ready to kick it out. Be ready to dump it off, and 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 don't just try to force up shots to where you're three for fourteen or what you said, like seven for twenty-two, on layups for the game. We got to, you know, we got to be smarter, not you know, not work harder. We got to work smarter in this game. And so I really haven't taken a good look at the preview yet, you know, and broken down some of the numbers. But I would say you got to stay connected on their shooters outside, kind of like Iowa. And I don't think of anybody on, on Northwestern's team that really can break you down off the dribble like some of the other teams have given us problems. Yeah, I think, you know, the other big matchup for Indiana is going to be Miller Cop. And the first three games that they won in Big Ten play, he was the the Ken Palm MVP of two of them. Uh, against Ohio State and against Indiana, he went three for four from deep, had 26 points. Uh, no, 23 points against Ohio State, had 13 against Indiana. You know, he's a six seven guy with a really good shooting stroke, and he's a difficult matchup for Indiana. Because ideally, you put Armand Franklin on him, and you saw what Armand Franklin did against Joe Wieskamp, but Joe Wieskamp is 6'5". You know, Miller Cop is 6'7", and so he's got he's a little bit taller, has a high release on his shot that can really give Indiana problems because who else does Indiana have? You know, Jerome Hunter you know, probably isn't even going to play, and is it he, like size-wise, he's the guy that you would think, but he can't defend a guy like that. You know, and, and you know, you're not going to have Race Thompson out chasing him around. Maybe some possessions you would, so that... That to me is a big a big matchup issue for Indiana is who takes that guy and really what you're going to want to do is just try to prevent him from getting the ball in the first place because he's probably going to be able to shoot over whoever gets it. So, be interesting to see what Indiana does there. And then of course you know you got Boo Booey and Chase Audige both who had uh, good games against Indiana the first time that you're going to have to deal with as well. You know I look at this game, I think this is a Trace Jackson Davis game because they don't have anybody who can handle him. And I mean this is a game he can go for 28 30 points if he brings second half against Iowa trace the entire way. And so I really look to him to kind of set the tone, you know, be aggressive early, get your spots, get the ball inside and just score, you know, Um, and just be, just be that monster that we've seen him be. I think this is a game he can go do that. And if we get that from him, um, you know, I think Indiana will be a, will be in a, a, a good space to, to get the win. All right, well, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. Remember to check out our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. And, of course, our friends at Evansville Security Services. You can learn more about them at evansvillesecurityservices.com. 
com. All right, it is time for last call. Jeff, I will go to you first for last call. Your final thoughts on Indiana's victory over Iowa. Well, I just say now it's time to put up some consistency. I, you've talked about in the community a couple different times that Archie hasn't had like a three or a four game winning streak since December of 19 or something like or last year, December. It's, it's been a long time since we've had any kind of winning streak. It's time for this team to put some consistency together and see if we can at least string two in a row together because we're going to go to Ohio State on the weekend and that's going to be a tough game. What, you know, I'm not saying we can't win it. But now's the time. And then we come home. I think it's Minnesota comes in after that, if I'm remembering the schedule right. So maybe three out of four. I, I, you know, I'm not saying we can't win at Ohio State, but you got to win at Ohio. You got to win at Northwestern, at least put some consistency together. To me, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm looking at Wednesday night. Can we put two games back to back? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's Northwestern, then at Ohio State, then home for Minnesota, and then home against Michigan State. So, I mean, three very, very winnable games, you know, where you're expected mm. to win uh, these games. And then, you know, kind of a, a house money game at Ohio State because you're expected to lose, but it'd be a huge win if you could get it. So, you know, really important stretch of the schedule here. All right, Kathy, you're like Trace against Iowa. You went away for a little bit, but now you're back to finish strong here at the end of the show. Yeah. Are, we <laughs> Are we on closing remarks? Yes, yes. Your final All thoughts. Right. Uh, I think it's probably playing off of what Jeff just said. So my my first uh, word of the game was trust. My word going forward is consistency. We we have to to show that we can follow these wins up with another win, whether it's over a quality win or a win over maybe somebody not quite as quality in Northwestern, but still a good team, right? They beat us earlier this year. Let's go up there and, and show that we, we can follow up these big wins with another one. Inconsistency within the game. I want to see us come out strong and stay strong. I, I don't want us giving up five three-pointers <laughs> out of the gates or um, having to go down by 13 and, and make a bunch of subs to come in and, and bail us out or whatever it is. I, I want us to be consistent from tip to final buzzer. That doesn't mean they won't make mistakes, but how does, uh, I think coach might be out there in our chat mob here tonight, um, but you play for perfection. You won't get there, but you coach to perfection. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to see from them. I want to see consistency and I want to see that from the beginning tip all the way through the end. Absolutely. You know, I, I thought Gary Parrish um, on the CBS Ion College Basketball podcast, I thought he had one of the best descriptions of this Indiana team that I've heard. He When he said, you know, Indiana is not terrible. And sometimes it feels like we come on the show and we're harping on them and we're all frustrated and it feels like this is a terrible team that we're watching. And yet this is a team that has consistently been ranked among the top 30 teams in Ken Palm. You know, they've by all efficiency metrics, they've improved, you know, yet again for the for the fourth straight season. They've been in a lot of games, you know, just having, you know, went to overtime against Illinois, against Florida State, against Wisconsin, all wins that would be really big wins. And you're there in overtime. So, I mean, it's you're a play away from winning those games. And he's like, Indiana is not a terrible team. They're just terrible at all the things that determine winning and losing basketball games. I think it was Gary Parrish that said that. And I think that was true. You know, it, it Indiana does a lot of good things and they've improved in ways that sometimes I think we overlook and we don't really give them credit for, like the three-point shooting that I was talking about earlier. But the stuff that stands out at the end of games when you're watching the team lose, like free throw shooting and like untimely turnovers and, you know, guards dribbling around for 20 seconds and not getting the ball inside or, you know, your best players disappearing for, for big parts of games. And, you know, some of these things that really stand out They've really just been issues for Indiana. And so I think what was so pleasing 
about that Iowa game is that, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, Indiana didn't do a lot of things in that game that they've done in some other games. But when it came time to win, they made the winning plays. You know, they kept getting off to these bad starts, but they would battle back, you know, and then at the end of the game, when they needed to make plays, the guards who were, you know, two for 800 in the game so far, stepped up and knocked down the two big shots. And Trace, who had struggled, came through and made the big plays. And Archie, who we've criticized for micromanaging at the ends of games, lets the guys just play and they go make a play. You know, so the stuff that determined winning and losing this game, Indiana did a really good job with. And so, you know, if that's something that Indiana can build on, and there's that if, you know, that very heavy <laughs> if that carries so much weight with this team. But if they learn something, you know, in that Iowa game that they can carry forward, then there's no reason that they can't win three out of these next four and really build some momentum for the end of the season. Um, who knows? They're talented enough to win all four of the games. You know, now I don't want to get ahead of myself. We just need to go beat Northwestern, you know, but I think yeah. what they showed after stumbling against Rutgers and, you know, just frittering away a good chance to win against Illinois and everybody's kind of wondering, all right, and what's this team going to have down the stretch? They showed us against Iowa. They've still got a lot of fight. They've got a lot of togetherness and you know, they're sticking with this thing and, and working to, to try and finish strong down the stretch. And so it was great to see. Hopefully it is something to build on uh, as we head up to Northwestern. Cause that's a big, big game. And I think they win that one. And now, you know, a lot of the fans who are still keeping them at arm's length, even after the Iowa game, probably still will even after the Northwestern game, but it'll be a little bit easier to start believing a little bit if they can finally do that thing they haven't been able to do, which is back up a big win by going out and taking care of business. Couldn't do it the last time. Big, big opportunity to do it on Wednesday. All right, that is going to do it for us on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thank you to longtime listener Bob Thompson, who produces a lot of the music that you hear on the show. And thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU Hoops again with you on Wednesday after IU Northwestern. Until then. Thank you for me, Yogi Farrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. I thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Here I come, Mrs. Stun Sony. <laughs> I don't like carrots. <laughs> you guys were awesome. That was great. You guys did a phenomenal job. <laughs> Thanks. That was great. It was awesome having you on. Well prepared. Honored to be here. Man. Yeah. And- it was fun. So good that we did it after that game too. Then yeah. if you'd had to come on after the Rutgers game or you know. <laughs> <The free laughs> game. Oh well. Ugh. We gotta yeah. we gotta beat them to end the season. We gotta That's end what that. I was gonna say. You were like, ah, we gotta go and beat Northwestern. And you want fans to come back, you're gonna have to beat Purdue. <laughs> gonna have to beat Purdue. Somehow, <laughs> some way. Let's see. Uh we've got Great. Jen says standing ovation to the panel. Great show. Uh, Ryan says, great show from the bench, much like Indiana Hoosiers getting late season contributions from the, go. from the, from the new folks. Here we go. Definitely you know? getting the, uh, the hustle award. That's right. Mike Roberts, real hustle award. <laughs> Coach real hustle award. To Jeff and Kathy <laughs> giving it to the whole bench. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right. That was awesome. Any other final thoughts from you guys? <clears throat> I don't think so.
I just, we, I, we can't go from this again to just having not followed that up. So why did the game get moved? Does anyone know why it's so at such a stupid time? <laughs> they're backloaded on games. The way Archie explained it at the, at the show tonight was he, I'm not sure if we didn't ask for it, but because we have to go to Columbus on Saturday. So I think he, I'm not sure we didn't ask for it to move up, but he basically said that they've got so many games scheduled for Wednesday night that they had to move one Hmm. up early so and then the women are playing that same day at like three o'clock yeah so also just to be clear on something i see in the chat about that last play from archie he he did obviously call the play but it's just not calling the timeout and just having a play having something that you practiced and just trusting the players to do it without kind of needing that micromanagement of calling the timeout to do it. Which sometimes, like, if it's a young team or your team's not organized to do it, maybe you do need to call a timeout. But they had, you know, Bahana hit that shot with 27 seconds left. So you had plenty of time to get everybody settled down, get the ball in the hands of the guy you wanted, and then time for him to go do what he wanted to do. So I don't I don't mean to not give Archie credit for that. I actually give him a lot of credit for trusting the players on the court to go make a play so the defense can't set up to the extent that Iowa's defense ever sets up. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> it was a good day for, uh, for those of us, for those in the chat mob. I, I live in Iowa. So it was a good day to, to live in Iowa and be in a Hoosier this time, right? Because the Heck women yeah. followed up and beat, beat Iowa as well. So That's right. Yeah. yeah. We owed Iowa some payback for yeah. all the all Gary Barta's nonsense. So yeah, Fact. down with the Hawkeyes. Fact. Yeah. Well, and the one thing like we were talking about a little bit that, you know, the kid playing hard. I mean, I think there's a perception out there, Jared, and maybe you you can relate to the or at least you know, talk about a little bit more. But because you tend to be with the podcast and stuff a little bit more in tune to what's going on with the program. But I, I see so many people, just general fans, guys I've known for a long time, don't think we play hard. But every time I watch something or listen to fish today, everybody talks about how hard this team continues mm-hmm. to play. So I'm trying to figure out is, is it us as fans who are just so like they should be winning at, you know, every game, they must not be playing hard. Or is there a disconnect among the national media? That's like, well, they play hard, but they just can't get over the hump. I, I I'm kind of torn there because there are times I don't think we play very hard. And then, but then I listen to guys that, should be, I hate to say experts, but you know, that seem to think we play hard way more than I think we do. So, I mean, I I think it's going to be really hard to have a top 25 defense and not play hard. So I think this team does play hard. Like they hustle. I think the problem with this team is sometimes they play tentative, you know? And so I think it's, it's probably a misnomer to, to throw out the not playing hard. Although, you know, even Archie said that they didn't play tough. And I think, but I think sometimes that, that can be true, you know? So like they, they play hard, they give effort, but it's like when a guy like Rob is overthinking things, it kind of looks like he's going slower than probably in his own mind he is because he's kind of overthinking stuff. You know, and sometimes when a yeah. team like Illinois is, you know, getting the loose balls at the end of the game and doing some of the things that they did, you know, Indiana's not as tough as their opponent. And I think that's been, you know, the issue is in, in games like that, being able to match the toughness of the opponent in key times when it comes down to winning. So, like, I don't I don't think the guys ever loaf. And, and, like, there's some times that maybe Trace doesn't, like, sprint up and down the court. And, like, there's always stuff like that that you could nitpick. But I do think, for the most part, they play hard. They just don't... They That's don't smart. sometimes have that killer instinct, and they play to the level of their <clears throat> competition. 
You know, yeah. and so I think you want to see this Indiana team like sometimes we should go out and beat somebody by 15 points because we're 15 points better than them. And it's a two point game. You know, and then other times you think, oh, man, they're going to lose this one by 15 and they're right in the game. So it's like they're kind of always playing right to level of their competition. And I think sometimes that can create the perception that in those other games, they're not playing as hard because they're kind of playing down to the level of the competition. But I don't think it's effort. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's some of the I think it's some yeah. of the other stuff. I would never say that this team doesn't give effort because I think for the most part they do. I, I totally agree with that. Like I would have felt like in maybe a year or two ago, there have definitely been times where I felt like the team wasn't playing hard. I don't think I've ever once sat here and said, you know, they're just being lazy. I, I think coach put it in the chat, Mob, you put it well. Um, there's a difference between playing hard and awareness. I, I've had something similar. They they always play hard. I don't know. They always play smart, which maybe that's a better word to say. They don't always play aware. <laughs> um, but I never, there's not once this year that I didn't think they were playing hard. Um, even in the Texas game, right? Like we can go back to, if we want to, if we want to, I don't really want to, but if we go back to the Texas game, I still don't think they played hard. It's just, boy, they couldn't execute on offense. I mean, we held Texas to a fairly low, uh, low scoring outing, if I remember. Um, for Texas, but boy, we just couldn't score. Would we? I mean, would we score like twelve points or something? I mean, I'm being facetious, but it was it was yeah. ridiculously low. So they they play hard, but not always smart. And that, and in my opinion, too. Yeah. I, and I, like and I think sometimes when the offense is really slogging. Uh, you know that can kind of that can kind of weigh on you a little bit, you know. And it's like, God, we haven't scored in four minutes, and you're just like a quarter step slower on defense because you're frustrated or you're thinking about it or you just, you know, you don't quite have the same energy as you would if Al Durham had just hit a three, and now you're sprinting back on defense and everybody's going, you know. So the offense, I think, is naturally going to lead to you know to some of that too. Um, Jeff, what were you going to say? I think that. I just think frustration may be a little bit of a better word too. Cause, and I like the toughness that you brought up and that Archie mentioned, because how many times this year, especially like the games we talked about, Florida State, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, if we could just grab about two or three rebounds at the end of a game, those games change, especially at the Florida State game. I can remember sitting there just grab the ball. And I think for some people, I'm not trying to and disrespect anybody out there, but I think sometimes people see that and they think that's lack of effort. Probably more lack of toughness, or at least you know, in the moment, lacking toughness to go grab a tough rebound. The Illinois game, Armand grabs that rebound and he's stripped. You know yeah. that that was a huge play. And, and I don't even know if toughness is the right word there. Like it may just be strength. Like you can be tough, and Kofi Coburn is just going to get the ball if he wants it. You know what I mean? Right. Like because he's just stronger than you are. You know and. and and, and coach has a good point. You know, we do have a lot of young guys, you know, and, and our, like anybody who would question Armand Franklin's toughness is an idiot who hasn't watched basketball. You know, that's just dumb. That kid is tough, but he's a sophomore who isn't always the strongest guy in a one-on-one matchup. And so sometimes he's not going to win that matchup, you know? And so I think we have young guys, you know, they have to catch up. Lander struggles with that. Like he's playing harder on defense, but guys can still get to the basket against him because they're stronger yep. than he is, you know? And so, but I don't, I don't, I just don't, I don't think it's effort. And I think, and look, we probably have said, we might have said that a couple times on the postgame show because you get on here in the heat of the moment and you're frustrated. Um, but I think with the, you know, with the sobriety of a little bit of time and perspective on it, like I don't, I don't think anybody would I really thinks that because I think this team plays as hard as any team Archie's had here um, because yeah. you just, you have guys that give more consistent effort and the guys that we used to harp on for not giving it are gone, you know? And so, yeah, I don't think I it's that. It's, 
nuance. I see no word on Hunter coming back. Like we didn't even talk about the fact that the team played so well ish on Sunday without missing, without, you know, without, without him. Um, I mean, he was pretty key in that when earlier in Iowa, when we beat him in, in Iowa city, any word on if he'll be back for the Wednesday game or is it still just kind of a wait? I mean, he, he dressed. Yeah, he did this time. Right. He didn't the first time. The way that I always look at these things, and I think the smart way to look at it, if there's ever a mysterious suspension in college basketball, expect that it's going to be three games. Yeah. That's always what I expect. And if it's something other than that, then I'm, you know, kind of surprised. So that's what I'm expecting. But, you know, Archie has kind of given some very vague statements about what it is. And I don't know, you know, what he did to to get suspended. Um, so, I don't, you know, but that is, that's an interesting point that he's had big moments this year. Don't get me wrong. And I think he has a huge role to play on the team. Him being out has also allowed all the other bench guys to kind of move up a step, you yep. know, and now you've got what we, cause we played a nine man rotation, right? Yeah. Nine guys who all played 11 or more minutes, all, you know, they can, bench, yeah, they can so. get into a little bit more of a rhythm, you know, and you know, so Jerome is a shot maker. He can be an inside outside offensive guy, but his defense has been, Goodness, has it been up and down, and mostly down this season. So I think it's going to be interesting once he does come back. Like, who are you? Who are you putting him in for? Right. Because for me, Jordan Geronimo has moved ahead of him as your backup to Race Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah. Now Jerome Hunter is you know a guy who can come in and still make shots and and play a role and in certain matchups. I think he's important. But with Geronimo playing better, you're not necessarily you know desperate for Hunter to be your guy to play the four or five because. Geronimo's better at guarding those guys than Hunter is. And right now, Leal is probably a little bit more reliable of a shooter. You know, so what is Jerome's role when he comes back? That's going to be interesting. Yeah. So Because he won the gold jersey the week before he got suspended, you know? Right. Yeah. So question for you, uh, kind of, I, I was wondering about this when you were talking about Jordan Geronimo. Um, there's only so many minutes to go around. He played, what, 16 so if we want him to get more minutes, who do you take him from? Geronimo? Yeah. I don't I actually don't know that I would give him more minutes. I think the I minutes he's playing are right because mm-hmm. you want you want Trace and Race playing as many minutes as possible to where they're playing at like their peak you know, efficiency level, you know, to keep them fresh and all those things. You know, so I, I think the minutes he's playing right now are are good. Um, same same for me yeah. i was just curious because I, I keep you know, I, you know maybe a few more minutes here or there but you're, you're never going to play them together right or you're never going to play all three of them together and you want race and trace on the court as much as possible so they're very well maybe a game coming up where geronimo only plays like five minutes because those guys you know play most of the game but i think he's at least shown that he can he could reliably give you 10 to 15 minutes off the bench where you can rest those guys and that's yeah. really valuable but I don't. I wouldn't force. Like I think Lander, you need to. I think he should. You should force him more minutes, and he should be playing twenty to twenty-five minutes a game. I don't think so the same with Durham. Question on Lander, then. Do you take the the minutes from Durham? So, yep. I mean, Finley only played twenty-two minutes, so you don't have much there to give anymore. If you assuming that I'm only looking at one game, I, I take him from Alf. Right? Is that yep. where they come from? Yeah. Take him from Alf. Reduce Alf five or six minutes down to twenty-seven or twenty or twenty-eight yesterday, and give Lander those five. Because and I know plus minus, like Jared said, is not a, a really good metric to go by. But Al was a minus thirteen. He was yeah. worse on the team. 
And Lander led the team in plus minus, didn't he? Right. Yeah, I you know, I think I know, you know, my thought on this has been you know, I'm team give the keys to Lander and kind of make him your your point guard. And I know all the risks that come with that. I'm just I'm willing to take those risks. No, I don't know if you need if you start him because he's a freshman. You know, and so I think you have to know him well enough to know psychologically does he benefit right now from being able to see the game played for five or six minutes so he understands the flow and can get in there? Or do you think he could handle starting? But the lineup I would really like to see is Lander, Finnessy, Franklin, Race, and Trace. Whether it starts or whether that's a lineup that you get to after, you know, you know, at the first media timeout, like whatever it is. And then Al then fits in as the guy that you kind of bring in, whether it's off the bench. Again, we need to do something with the starting lineup because it's not working. But then Al is more of a guy that you come in for maybe shorter spurts to provide offensive punch, you know, and get some open threes. Um, but give but give Lander more of those minutes because I just think the offense is running better with him. Yeah. And, and you know, and there may be a game or two where you do that and it's like, whoa, he does not have it tonight. And okay, yeah. maybe like that game you limit him. But otherwise, I think you say like, hey, if he's ready to go, like we'll give him 25, 26, 27 minutes as long as he's, you know, playing well with him. And, you know, for the most part, let him play through his mistakes, you know, and only the most extreme cases, you know, do, do you kind of pull him out? But that's yeah. that's what I would do. And I would love to see him do it a little bit down the stretch. And one thing, like Coach pointed out in the chat mob, that Archie was praising Al tonight mm -hmm. at the press at, at the radio show, and I get that part of that. I think Archie's really loyal to his seniors, and I and I respect that because I was loyal to my seniors when I was coaching. But I like the idea of you've brought up a couple different times on the post game shows and on the Thursday night shows. You move out to a six man, and I think sometimes we do get caught up too much in who the starters are. And that might be a conversation you can have with Al and be like, Al, you may not start, but you're a finisher because like people are pointing out in the chat mob, yeah. Al is probably our most consistent guy at the line. It's not, he's regressed a little bit from last year, but he's the guy, at least when he goes to the line, I feel good about them going in. So I think more of Al as a finisher rather than the starter making that six yes. man. And I think he could bring that energy level that for that second unit and provide a little bit more scoring punch. Cause I could see Al getting 12 yeah. or 13 a game off the bench. Yeah, Brian Al just said that Al's at 74% free throws, though. Thanks, so, Brian. last four games. In the Iowa game, Al, 9 of 10 from the line. Didn't take any free throws against Rutgers. Against Illinois, 7 for 8. Against Iowa, 6 for 7. So, I agree. Like, I, I've been team Al Durham all season. You know, honorable mention Al uh, and all that stuff. And, I, you know, I don't think that's obviously going to happen. But he's had four straight games of offensive efficiency over 100. Three of those games, well over 100. So, he is doing some good things. I think it's one of those things. It's a good problem to have that, you know, Lander is really kind of elevating his play and you're, you know, you can have these conversations because you see glimpses of the stuff he does that the, uh, the other guys don't even see. Like, that's the thing is Lander does stuff. The other guys don't see. And I, like I, you know, Jeff, you talked about this, you know, Al 33 minutes, 31 minutes, 31 minutes, 33 minutes. But how many of those minutes in those games is Al kind of out there initiating the offense and playing de facto point guard? Those are the five or six minutes I would get rid of because yeah. I don't think he's very good at that. But playing off ball and doing those things, he is much better at. So I just think if we can maybe manage that a little bit better at the margins, sometimes that can be the difference, you know, in winning these close games. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I probably should go. It's well past my bedtime. <laughs> Tactical Hoosier just said, Jared, what's it like to have two prepared co-hosts? 
You know, I think the real question is, will Jeff or Kathy host a show before Ryan does? That, I'd be happy to. That is the question. I'm guessing my money would be on yes. Yeah, I'd be happy to. <laughs> I, I could, if you'd show me how to do it, I could try. Gosh, what, what great attitudes, you know? Such, such great attitudes to have. No, you guys were awesome. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jim. And uh, yeah. yeah, we'll have you guys on again in the future because this was great. Yeah, Thanks, appreciate yeah. it. All right. And chat mob, thanks for bearing with us. I apologize for everything happening kind of last second. I know there were a lot of people that ended up there in the chat. (laughs) Wait, like, is the show going to start? Like what's going on? So we appreciate that. We obviously try to always be there right after the games. You know, sometimes we, we can't quite do it. Um, but we always, we'll always make it up. So we're excited to do it tonight, but we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday after IU Northwestern. (laughs) Nice and early. That's right. (laughs) Thanks everybody. Take care, everybody. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.